Good evening, folks. I tell you, it's hard not to have a bad hair day. That kind of wind. I wore my hat, uh, well, this morning and tonight to get from the car in there and made it all right coming in and the thing blew off. I'm holding on to it. And then I saw my hair. It's all over with, you know. I got in the car. I am. I'm having a great day in the Lord. Uh, I, I want to give you some advice if you not, don't already know this. I experienced it on a golf course and then um, I think at another place. But uh, if you have a hat that has a round brim on it and it in the wind and it blows off your head and it hits up on that, you're in for a chase. You ought to see me run those down, you know. I can't run them down now, but when I was younger, I could catch my hats. But So if I've got to hold on to them, or if one of you are all nearby, don't even wait till I tell you to help. Just go get it for me, because it's interesting at times. But I hope you've had a good day in the Lord, and God is good to us, that's for sure. There's no question about that. And we are blessed. We saw that up where we live that the creek was getting up right near the road, so I'm hoping that we can get back in. We've been locked out a few times from getting back in, and then it usually goes down after a while, and we can. But anyway, anybody else have water problems? Anybody near? You know, in West Virginia, you just have to live near a, a stream that comes off the hill, and you're in danger when it rains really hard of it coming into your house or affecting it. Well, let's have a word of prayer. We've got a lot to be grateful for, and, and we certainly ask for God's blessings upon our service tonight. Father, we are grateful for the blessings that you've given to us. Truly, your grace is sufficient, and we thank you so much for your patience and the grace that you show to us each and every day of our lives. We're gathered here this evening, and we know as a congregation this church has many needs to bring before you and regarding so many different Uh, things that are happening in the lives of your people. So we pray that in your wisdom you're going to deal with those, and we thank you for it. We pray for the other ministries that are going on this evening in our facilities here. Uh, Lift up our pastor to you as he's away for uh, some business, and we pray that you would be with him and bless him. And Father, I pray tonight and invite you to manifest your presence. ask that you would use me to speak the message that you would have me to deliver. Pray that your Holy Spirit would prepare each of our hearts and our minds here this evening to be receptive to what you have to say to us individually and also collectively. So I pray that you would bless this and bathe this in your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Pastor Seth has uh, begun on a, a journey of talking about the uh, doctrines and you know that we have. You know, sometimes um, people may say, well, I'm going to do a doctrinal sermon tonight. And doctrine is just sort of teaching. That's what it is. It's the teachings that we accept and believe and follow, and and, uh, those we accept are true. And so talking about God, and the pastor Seth has laid this out, and uh, talked about the Trinity and so forth. There's God, and then we know that God... Uh, manifest himself as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. When we get to talking about the three, then, you know, you've got to make sure, and I I will and other uh, ministers will do the same, to emphasize the fact that we only serve, we only have one God that we're serving. There is a mystery and a lot of ways of trying to explain this, but 
Each, uh, sometimes I've called offices that's established or personalities are there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's all God. It's one God who has done that in three ways. And I, I guess that you've probably done the same thing trying to figure out how we're going to, uh, uh, you know, how are we going to explain this. And uh, we take it by, we believe what the Word of God says, and we're going to see that it speaks of all of these. And the one that I'm going to speak about this evening is God the Father. And um, as we look at it, and, and, and I've thought about this, there's, there is an order. There's no question about it because God is a God of order. And it isn't that one's above the other and so forth, but uh, as we look at this, we know that God puts things in order, and so we see that Christ it was in submissive as God the Son to God the Father in the sense that uh, he came to do his will and so on and so forth like that. And uh, I thought about that, that um, God places things in order. Sometimes down here we question, well, why did God set it that way? when he said that, uh, like, the man is the head of the house, but that doesn't say that uh, the woman's not important and the man's more important. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that God has put an order in things, you know. And when we learn how those orders work, we're going to find that uh, certainly it'll be a blessing to us. And I want us to keep that in mind tonight. And uh, remember this as we're talking here. In Malachi 3.6, God said, For I am the Lord, I do not change. God does not change. He's always been God. He always will be God, even though he manifests himself in three persons. So as we look at this tonight that uh, of God the Father, the point at which Christianity begins to differ when we talked about monotheism, one God. Well, the Jews, one God. Uh, also, Islam is one God. But uh, where the difference really comes, the point which Christianity differs from these, is belief in God as Holy Trinity. And uh, the Jewish race of people, of course, we're more familiar perhaps with that than Islam, but uh, the fact that uh, they do not understand the way that we understand and accept the Trinity, I believe, and not getting this much, but I, I think they're still looking for Jesus to come the first time, and we're looking for him to come the second time, aren't we? So there's a difference there. It's surely one God. But uh, in Exodus 4:22, it said, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Now, we see God in, in, in that sense. We're going to look at this and see in a moment because we're going to look a little bit later, but a few things to share with you. We're going to look at God how he was seen and even in the role as a father in the Old Testament, and then, of course, come into the New Testament and see the role of God the Father in that sense there. And you will see there is a difference there. But in the regard to being called father there, it talked about, the, as I said, Israel, his people, were his firstborn. So it was as God was the father there to that. Uh, Hosea 11.1 1 said, Out of Egypt I called my son. 2 Samuel 7.14 declares the dynasty of David to be God's son. And then we find in Psalms 2 and 7, a coronation uh, a psalm there, it declares the king, whom it is speaking about there is Jesus, it declares the king the Lord's begotten son. 
Then we see in the book of Judges 3.10, the ecstatic leaders of that time in the book of Judges there, they were described in terms of being possessed by the Spirit of the Lord. Sometimes we say it this way in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord came up on the individual and empowered them. It could have been physically, whatever was needed, they were empowered. And then in our picture, in our mind, he moved back off. Well, we know in the day of Pentecost, he came in his fullness, and the Christians are indwelt by the Spirit of God that does not move in and out. He is with us at all times. So the, the uh, being described as possessed of the Spirit of God, and then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and that was Othaniel there, in Judges 6.34, and then, of course, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And we go back and read those. Those are exciting to, to read stories and then see how the power of God would come up on an individual. And probably one of the ones that stands out is Samson and all of his strength and so forth. Well, that was the, the Spirit or the power of God coming upon him for that. So, um, as we look at this and we see here, and I wanted to point out these things to you. You see the father that is brought out here because he's the father of Israel. He's called his son. We also see the son that is spoken about, that the Lord's begotten son there in Psalm 2-7. And then we see the spirit here used when we talked about the ecstatic leaders there of being uh, possessed by the spirit of God. So, in essence, what you have, you have the Father, you have the Son, and then you have the Spirit. But it's not as obvious when we read the Old Testament as it is when we come in to the New Testament. So, really, in this unique relation that existed between the Lord and His Son and His Spirit, uh, you know, it's, it, it probably could help us to understand why that the three are so frequently mentioned together in the New Testament teaching. And uh, the most natural way for the early Christians to describe their experience of God was to follow a Trinitarian pattern. So when you're talking about in worship and prayer and so forth, let me give you an example here. In Jude, uh, Jude uh, verses 20 and 21, it said, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit... Verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Those two verses are going to have all three presented there. They're going to have the Father, they're going to have the Son, and going to have the Spirit. And then if you will study and look at it closely, you will find out that that order is not always Father, Son, Spirit. It may be different. It may be the Spirit, the Son, the Father, I'm just, but it would be in different order there. But the order of it is not the importance of it. It is the unity of these three personalities or persons of the triune God. So as we keep this in mind, if you look in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, there's going to be a phrase that's used in, in these places I'm going to point out to you, uh, the pray, to the praise of the glory of his grace, speaking of God's grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And this is going to be repeated again three times here to the praise of the glory. This, uh, look, this, it is to, uh, to excite with thanksgiving and praise. And I think if we thought about that and, and 
a lot of times we get in the sort of we've heard this and we hear this each time we go to church or we hear this and we've heard this talked about and maybe we don't get as excited as we ought to. But you see what that phrase is connected with? To the praise of the glory of His grace. And then it says, by this grace, by which He, speaking of God, made us accepted in the Beloved. So by the grace of God, the Father here, the praise is giving, there's an excitement about it, because through the grace of God, we've been made, made us accepted in the Beloved. We are acceptable to God because we are in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God, His grace has made that. You drop down in that same chapter of Ephesians in verse 12, it said that we who first trusted in Christ, notice Christ is brought out here, should be to the praise of His glory. The second one, you've got the Father up here in the first one. You have in this one, you have Christ. And then in 13b of that chapter, in whom also have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And verse 14 carries on with it, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Now, each one of those ought to get us excited, and you can understand this was sort of a, a worship here in a, in a, a time, and they, in, in Ephesus there, and, a, and uh, they were giving praise to God. They were excited about that. And when you think about it, none of us could have made our, ourselves acceptable to God unless God, through His grace and His Son's shed blood, brought us into the relationship with Him. We look back here, and we see also the fact that Christ... The first we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise. We're the ones that's trusted in Him. It should be to the praise of the glory. It should be. It should be with excitement that we get about that. And then we t and then we look at the Holy Spirit in the latter part of that. And of course, it talks about us being sealed with the Spirit of God. It talks about the Spirit of God being the guarantee or the down payment, folks. We've got it all still to come. We've just got a taste of it. But one day we're going to have the full blessings of being with Him in heaven. For all eternity. Now that's beyond my mind, and I may not be able to understand it all, but I'm telling you by faith that excites me, and so I'm thankful for that. And I believe the writer here, when they use that expression of the Holy Spirit's leadership, we too should be excited and grateful about it. Now it's called the, the Apostles' Creed, and uh, you may have read it, but there's one uh, a book written for uh, the Apostles' Creed for the layman. And uh, it's written by uh, Barclay, I believe is the name of it. But it says in that, I believe in God the Father. That was the statement. We, we would look at ours and, and call it the Baptist faith and message, but we still have it in there, that I believe in God the Father. And uh, we'll probably read that if time permits us toward the end of this, a little bit of it. But again, going back, and let's focus on it for just a moment here, uh, on God the Father in the Old Testament, the perception and how they saw in the Old Testament for some things. In Deuteronomy 32 and in verse 6, it said, Is he not your father who bought you, speaking to the nation of Israel? Is he not your father who has bought you and brought you uh, out of the land of Egypt, of course, and so forth? So there's two senses in which the word father may be used. One of them is paternity. And that's used of a man who is responsible for the physical existence of a child and yet may never see that child 
but yet they are the paternal father of that child. We've got a lot of examples of that today around us in our society. We see that, but keep that in mind, that thought there, that that's speaking about in the physical realm of this. And then the other word that is used here is fatherhood. And this conveys a relationship of love and care and intimacy. Now, God is a paternal father because he is the creator. And he gave physical life to the human race and all of creation there. But it's not just physical. It's not that God, it's not like God spoke it into existence. And it's like a top that he spin it and turned it loose and said, all right, creation, you're on your own. God is involved, and that's where the fatherhood of God comes in. He's involved, and we, and we can have a, a very intimate, loving, caring relationship with him because he first has that relationship with us when he brings us into his family. So in the Jewish thought of God, uh, certainly the father of the Jewish nation of Israel as, as his people. So they accepted that and understood that, again, to those scriptures that I just read there. And, uh, but the fatherhood of God is never individualized. Now think about this for a moment. When I think of God the Father, I think of God the Father as my Father, individually. I have a personal relationship with Him. By His grace, He brought me into His family, and I am a child of God. But they, the, in the Old Testament, it is the Jewish people, the Jewish nation... So it wasn't individualized like it is in the New Testament. So you see the difference. That's, that's one. Di- and to me, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, we're just not all lumped together. And God says, okay, all those people down there, you know, they're mine. And, and we are. We're brought in his family. But isn't it great that we have that individual connection with God and when we go to him? You ever just get along with God and start talking to him and begin to feel that sense of just that intimacy, that closeness? And it's one of the sweetest things that we can experience is have those kind of times with our Father in heaven. The characteristics of the Jewish, uh, Jewish belief of God. Now listen to this for a moment here. Between man and God, there is this unbridgeable. It's such a wide distance between them. That's the view or the, the, the characteristics that they saw of God and displayed there. But in Exodus 33 and 20, remember Moses said he wanted to see and asked God, show me your face, you know, show me. And God said, you can't see. And, of course, we know he let him see the back. But, but the point being this, because it taught then and it's taught in the Old Testament no man shall see me and live, is what um, God told to Moses there. So they understood it. Remember the fear? They, they just would not. They knew, and that was the, the thought of it. You see, God, you're going to die. And they would have. You know, that, that was, that's the way the Old Testament was. Okay? In Judges 13 and verse 22, Manoah there, who was the father of Samson, when he married there, uh, his wife, she did not have children. Then an angel showed up and said, you're going to uh, have a child. You're going to conceive and have a child. And she goes back and she tells her husband. Her husband wants to come back. And he said, God, send that angel back here. I want to talk to him. I'm paraphrasing this. It's a stopping paraphrase. It's not, a, it's not a translation, but it's a paraphrase. He said, send that angel back. So the angel came back and he talked there. And, and so Manoah, he gets and they, he prepares this meal, you know, and he puts it out here and as a sacrifice of what was put out in the rock. But what happened, it talked about the angel doing something. 
And the angel, when that fire there to burn that offering on that, uh, I call it the rock, but the angel went up into the, in, back into heaven there in the flame of that fire. You can read that in the book of Judges 13 there. But then what happened was he realized that and he says to his wife, he said to her, we shall surely die for we have seen God. Now that was the view of God in the Old Testament and rightfully so, but in, not to the extent that they took it to. But I'm glad to think that I can have a, a, an intimate uh, talk with God and you know, I don't have visions or nothing like that, but if God did show me in, in some way of an angel, I'm glad to know that I'm not going to die because I had that close of a contact with the God the Father. And so this is one of the ways it did. So such a wide gap. And also that God is a God of unconditioned authority. In other words, He and certainly God is, but here's a picture. Remember in Jeremiah chapter 18, where the potter and the clay, and Jeremiah was told to go down to the potter's house there, and he saw the potter, uh, he had this clump of clay and he, and made there, and then it was marred in his hands, and he just flips there, and he, he makes another one. And he just goes on to say there that God, the nation of Israel, or he could choose any nation, and he could mold them and fix them just the way that he wanted it to be. It was that kind of authority that they saw there that God had that power to do it. And God did to a certain extent, but then he would let them make their own choice. And, of course, Israel was bad for that. The picture was Israel mess up and God kind of get them back together and they'd mess up again. Well, it's not quite that way. You and I, we know the grace of God, and I, I hope we do not take advantage of it and misuse it. But if we mess up, we're not afraid God's going to just crush us up, you know, and then, then he's going to mow me into something else. God will discipline us. He'll bring us back in line with him in the New Testament and get us back where we ought to be if we'll obey. If we don't, some of us may go to an early grave if we don't straighten up, you know. That's basically, I really believe that, my, my theology. So another thing is that, uh, the third thing here is that God is a God of power that was not to be, you know, to be avoided, changed, or resisted. Job chapters 38 and 39. Now, Listen, and I'm reading through that in my devotion now in the book of Job there and others, but in, in the 38 and 39th verse, in 38.3, God said to Job, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Now read through that, and you're going to see that there's questions comes up, which is uh, basically some questions like, were you there? Did you make the sea? Were you there, Job? Did you do this? In other words, asking questions that only God Almighty could do that. Well, they saw this, that his, his power was not to be avoided. You couldn't avoid his power. It was not something that you could change, and certainly not something that you could resist. And, we, and they saw that in the New Testament, and that's kind of the picture that they had of God in the Jewish view there in the Old Testament. Let's see here. This is my computer. And I'm not sure what button to push to delete something here. But anyway, let's look at the Christian view because we kind of looked at the, uh, the Old Testament view. But let's look at the Christian view. Christians believe in the paternity of God believe that God is the source and origin of all life. I believe that. I believe that's where we came from when God 
God uh, spoke it into existence and so forth like that. That God is the one from whom life comes and certainly when we leave out also. So that's our view. So we see God and we believe in that. I believe he's a creator and so forth. But also that's even more that Christians believe in the fatherhood of God. And that's where the... We get this, you know, I, I, if that's all that we had was to see, you know, we had a, a belief in God as a creator and what we see physically out here and that's it. I wonder what kind of relationship you could have with a God like that. But he's not a God like that. He's a God with all that power. He's a God with all of the wisdom and all of that and spoken into existence. And think about it, you all, the same thing. Aren't you just amazed when you see God's creation when you begin to just take some time and even if you looked into the you know out into the space out there and you saw the stars or whatever and even the, this wind and so forth like that you know it's just amazing but but we Christians we believe in that we believe that God is a the intimate loving caring fellowship would go so much further than paternity can ever go now that's the difference so what have we had if we only had a God that fit that fit the definition of paternity there that only dealt with the physical but we're talking about a god he's the fatherhood that we have that relationship with him it's personal it's in just something that's amazing it truly is but then the intimacy of the relationship of uh, the christian to god this name abba you know mark 14 uh, 36 jesus used this word here in his prayer in the garden remember that abba father and then uh, Romans eight fifteen, and then Galatians 4 and verse 6 or two other places to see this. And it's interesting as I look at this and, and so forth. But I, in studying this, that Abba is the word formed by the lips of infants to give evidence of unreasoning trust. You know, so... I don't know, just has to take a little baby, you know, and they, they begin, you know, and they, get, and they begin to uh, uh, form their lips and they begin to say mommy or daddy or something like that. And, and even when you're, you know, it's your first one, whether they said daddy or not, you knew that's what they said, right? Okay, sure it was, you know. But the point being in this and said forming that and so on, and, and the carrying the idea of un reasoning trust it's not like i'm going to sit down and figure out now do i really trust him or not am i going to really trust god that's not but it said the two together you know the expression of the other the father expresses an intelligent apprehension of the relationship so the baby has this you know he's saying abba father and that word there carries the idea that it's that unreasoning trust they just trust you know you could tell a child to get up on top of the roof and they'll say jump and you know, all of you done it probably. It was not the most intelligent thing we ever did to get our child up on that and say, now, come on, jump. What if we hadn't caught them? Y'all think about that. Okay? But here's the point I'm making. This second part here talks about the love and intelligent confidence of the child. So, in any, you know, that's where to put them together, that's what we would come up with, the baby, and then it's intelligent, but it's also we're going to trust, but it's intellectual. In other words, folks, we trust God, but it's not something that's just no intellect to it. Smartest thing any, that you and I ever did was trust God, His saving grace in our life. I think that's a pretty intelligent thing to do. Well, but in any secular context, 
it would be translated simply as daddy or papa. Now, I know that there's a hesitancy sometimes. But some might say, well, it's not really reverent to God. But the word itself is used. It could have been used that way. And, of course, we know that uh, Maxine, who's gone on to be with the Lord, she, that was kind of her way of expressing that, you know. That was us. So uh, I think that we ought to have that kind of relationship, that we trust him explicitly. And it is an intellect on our part to do it, but it's by faith and that we have that very close relationship with him. For the Christian, God is love, according to 1 John 4 and 8. It just simply says that God is love. Now, you know, don't get that turned around and say love is God. God is love, not turning it around. So when we, we, and here's the thing about it. Remember what I said he said, I change not. I'm the same. Now, if God is love and he was loved back eternity past in our view, I'm going to tell you right now, in eternity present and out in the future, he's still love. And so, God, you and I can never do anything to cause God to stop loving us. Now, we can do things to disappoint God. We can do things, so to speak, in our terms that breaks the heart of God but he'll never start, stop loving us. Now, he may do discipline in our lives, but he won't stop loving us. And so we look at this, and so Luke 15, we look at that, and, and there, there are some things that, that really does give an unbelievable uh, detail of the love of God. There are three things that are mentioned there, but two that I want to speak about first is the, the, the shepherd. And, 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 of course, Jesus... We'll see another part of this. But Jesus, he welcomed sinners to come around him. He went around sinners. And they were there at the, at the house, and, and these tax collectors and sinners were coming in. And, he, and here's these Pharisees are, are around Jesus, and Jesus is with them. And the Pharisees are saying, well, what's he doing? You know, he's supposed to be, ay, 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 and now he's around sinners. Jesus simply said to him, which one of you fellows out there if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them, would you leave the 99 over here and, and uh, go look for that one? And Jesus pointed out that the shepherd that had, nine, that had these hundred and lost one, he would go and he would search diligently till he found that and put it up on his shoulders, bring it back, call everybody in, and begin to have a party about it. And he said, in heaven there will be more rejoicing over one sinner repents over the, you know, a bunch of righteous that did not need repentance, what he's saying. And what Jesus is saying, look, guys, it's important that we go get that lost one. And that's showing the love of God. Also, the woman that had the ten coins, remember, and she lost one? I mean to tell you there was a diligent search went on, the light and down under, no doubt, in the beds and looking under them and everything else to find that coin. When she found it, they also had a party. And the same thing was said about heaven rejoicing in, the, in heaven there. So God is a God of love. Augustine said this when he said that, that God loves each one of us. Now, we can make that statement. But Augustine's great phrase was, as if there was only one of us to love. I like that. God loves us, but then break that down and use that phrase that Augustine said, as if there was only one of us to love. That makes it really personal, doesn't it? 
He's not only that, but God is a giving God. In almost every other religion, their gods demands gifts from men. Their gods are the ones that seeks man to come to them. The characteristic, though, uh, the most characteristic thing that was ever said about the Christian God is that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, God is a giving God. He's not a God that's expecting you and me to come in and give him some type of an offering that's, you know, to appease him or whatever that, that most gods that they had in their own makeup that they thought they had to do. And, uh, you know, I guess we're even burying food with somebody that died so that they could eat or have their gods. I don't know, but here's the thing about it. When we talk about our God, he is a giving God. Now, what God could give what our God has given for us? Now, you think about it. He gave the very best that he had. He gave his son to die for us. This is God, the Father of the New Testament. Then we see also that he is a forgiving God. The God and Father from whom Jesus revealed to men is far more eager to forgive than he is to condemn. But folks, do you know that that most people see God as a God that you have to uh, do something to please him, for him to love him, to bless him, Uh, a God who is ready to condemn. There's people so afraid that God's going to just beat them down if they don't just do everything perfect. Now, I want to ask you, what kind of a, a walk with God would that be if you and I had to be scared to death all the time that every little mistake that we made, he's going to just slap us upside the head? The point is that God is a forgiving God. When you got saved and I got saved, God really forgave us of a bunch, didn't he? And you know what? Since I've been saved, I have still needed God's forgiveness time after time. And you know what? I've just got a sneaky feeling and hunch that I'm probably going to need more forgiveness before I leave this life for the grace of God. So I'm glad our God is a God who forgives us. Now that doesn't mean that we intentionally do wrong because we know God will forgive us. No, no. If we love God, see, love should be the greatest, greatest thing to keep us from committing sin is because we love God. Would you not think? How many people could... How many people could keep the law, you know, and do something that would just, that, you know, if you, if you had a law that said don't do this and you did it and then you paid the fine for doing it, well, that didn't do it. Well, the same in our walk with God. If we had some legal system set up and we, you know, we, if we sin against God, this is what the penalty is going to be. And so you go through the penalty stage and so forth. But love is the greatest motivator for causing a person to want to live their lives pleasing unto the Father that has blessed us so much. Love is the greatest motivator. It's not the hard preaching. It's not the, all of these different things that goes on that we say, well, that'll keep people. No, no. No, no. I've, I've tried that. I've been in a few years, in my younger years especially. I thought that's what would, you know, people needed to hear so they'd be faithful in church. So It isn't. 
I don't care how much you preach to someone, how hard it comes out, how much toes and so on. I've, I've said something along this line before. But folks, if you don't love God, you don't have the greatest motivator in your life to serve Him and please Him to the best of your ability with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we look at that. And then God is truly a forgiving God. But one other thing here I want to look at, just probably not, probably more than one other thing, but let me just get this. And that is that God is a seeking God. Now think about this for a moment. We, we might say, well, you know, if you come to a person, you know, come to your God and you ask forgiveness and so forth, and he certainly will forgive and so on like that. But God is a seeking God. Remember, I just mentioned those two there, the, the sheep and the coin being lost, and how that the owner of those, the owner of the sheep, the shepherd, went looking for those. And, I mean, you thought about that in your mind in this parable, but, but think about it. Uh, he may have had to go through rough terrain, uh, maybe some rough type of uh, vegetation, whatever be growing around, and it probably was not the easiest thing to do. But he was determined that he was going to find that sheep no matter how long it took him to get it because he knew that he had a love and a concern for it and care for it. He wanted it back where it belonged. This woman that lost the coin, I mentioned that just how diligent she was looking for that coin because there's a lot of things. Even that time, if one coin was lost out of that that the woman had, that was not good, you know, that she needed all ten of those coins there. So, you know, she was she she wanted that coin. She had a concern. She really needed it, and she wanted it, and basically she loved it. And that's the same with the sheep. And folks, I'm going to tell you, God comes seeking for us. Point of proof here is, how many of y'all decided that you were going to go looking for God? How many of you woke up, up one morning in your life, and you said, hmm, well, I've been doing this thing my way for so long, but you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to go looking for God and see if I can find Him. No, but I'd almost guarantee you that if you look back in your life that God came knocking at your heart's door. He came with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and you knew that something was missing and God kept coming after you and drawing you in patient. I'm glad God didn't come and just knock once at my heart's door. I'm glad He kept the pressure on, so to speak, but that was love pressure. He wanted me and his family. And so he came looking for me. The idea of God the Father who will invite a sinner back, you know, the thing is saying he's not new. The idea that God the Father will welcome back the persist, the penitent sinner is not new. But the idea of God who will go and seek for the sinner and who wants men to do the same is something completely new. Okay. I thought of this, and I, again, I'm, I'm not no great theologian and so forth and some things. And, but, you know, in the Old Testament, God's people would get in such a mess. What happened? They cried out to God, and then God sent someone, or he came, you know, sent whoever to lead them out of that situation. They repented. God is a seeking God. Now, you and I... If we get out of fellowship with God, and we're truly God's child, I will just guarantee you this. You are going to be one miserable individual. Because if you belong to God, He's going to come looking. He's going to come seeking to get you back where you ought to be. That's, in the, that's God the Holy Spirit. Because God the Son died for us, and God the Father 
through his grace, brought us into his relationship through his son's blood. So all of God, through all these different uh, persons that he is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he is God. He will come looking for you and me if we get out of fellowship with him. So looking at this, and we're going to wrap up here in a minute, but it's great to have a father who loves us. We go down, then, you know, wouldn't it be great that every child had a father, physically speaking, that had the love that would qualify them to be fatherhood, not just paternity? Well, the same with God's grace. I'm glad that, that we have a spiritual father, our heavenly father, who loves us. Also, I'm glad that God is long-suffering. He's patient with us. My father is patient. You think he's patient with you? I wonder why he puts up with some of the things. I wonder why he didn't get rid of me a long time ago, you know. I wonder why he didn't throw me over on a heap of rubbish and said, you're worthless. But you know what? He's been patient with me, and I'm grateful for it. I am. I'm grateful for it. The Father who knows our need before we ask him. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus is speaking about those who go and they really are crying out and they're crying out and they're with their loud talking and all this and that they're going to get God to answer them. But he said, you know, in verse 8 there, he said, God knows what you have need of before you even ask him. And then he goes on and says this is the prayer and we call it the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. Isn't it something that God knows before you and I ever ask him? You say, well, why do you ask, preacher? Why do we ask? Because he told us to. Is that not right? That's a simple answer. What did he tell us to do? He told us to pray. What did he tell us to do? He said, ask. He said, seek. He said, knock. Those are weird to do. It's not that, folks, always remember this. When you tell something to God in prayer, please do not see that as an informational channel. God already knows it. You don't have to give God information. You ever hear anybody anybody praying for somebody sick in the hospital and tell them what hospital it is and what room it is and what floor is on? God doesn't need to know that. He just told us to pray for them. Right? Well, that's the God that I'm serving who is my Father and you're the same. And also a Father who is faithful. I like 1 Corinthians 1, 9. talks about God is faithful. I'm glad of that. And then another thing here is the power to protect. In John chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, he's talking about, uh, you know, the security, I believe, there. Let me read that, because I'm going to finish up on this. In John chapter, you know what scripture it is. It's where we we certainly have our doctrine of of the belief of the, or the security of the believer. But in chapter 10 and verse 29 of the uh, gospel of uh, John here, I'm looking right at it. My eyes will adjust in just a minute. Uh, back up to verse 28, said my, uh, verse 27 said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, that's a God who protects, a Father who protects. Do you know that my children 
and I still feel the same about them today, even though they're, they're getting almost as old as I am. But anyway, I felt an obligation on my part as a father that I was going to protect them. And protect them I would, okay? And I've done some things that probably wasn't so silly. I've gone right into high school and talked to uh, teachers that, and, and principals of high school in Ohio that they had, uh, I don't it's a big, big school. Because a teacher called my, one of my daughters a dirty name. Now, I'm going to tell you, there was just, I, I wasn't always the wisest, and I wasn't always the, as spiritual as I should have been, but I went in because that was mine. If somebody else, I would, well, you know what? There's a whole lot of dangerous things out there, and he's called basically Satan, is out to do nothing, but our pastor quotes it a lot, kill, destroy, you know, that's what Satan's want to do. Do you not rejoice that we have a father who is powerful enough to protect us? And here's a picture of it. You're in his hand. You're in the, Jesus' hand, the Father's hand. And we've already seen that the Holy Spirit sealed us. We're there by the blood of Christ. That's a whole lot for the devil to break through, isn't it? He can't get. But what I'm saying is God can do that. And here's the point about it. It said the protecting power of Jesus is based upon the power of God and the wonderful intimacy of working that exists between the Father and the Son. So see, folks, even though it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all intimately working together. They're all on the same page. They're all headed the same direction. You know why? Because they are one. He's called God that's manifested into Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we see that all of these have certain ministries that they function in. The Spirit, the Father, the Son. So, the text there in verse 30, it's not arguing for a oneness there as far as the personality. It's not saying bring them all. But what it is, is rather it's something along the lines that it's oneness of purpose and will. And that's exactly what it is. And all the, the manifestation of Him in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's all there in oneness in His purpose and will of God to bring it about there. Let me read this real, well, it's right on the button, but let me read this on a rock. God the Father. God as Father reigns with providential care over His universe, His creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of His grace. In other words, God and providential, we all use that. I believe the providence of God has been at places. That's why I've been there. The providence of God's kept me from being Killed or something else. You all know that in your own lives. You've seen God work. So in His providential care there, and, and I'm of this persuasion, guys, it's going to work out just exactly like God prepared it for prior to creation. This thing, God's not, God is not figuring it up now as He goes along. This thing's already been figured out by God a long time ago. God's purpose will be and folks, what happens to you and me, ultimately, it is work, God's working us into His purpose. And we need to be very grateful for that and understand what's happened. Sometimes we're not always well. Sometimes we have problems. But God takes this and He works it out for His purpose to be worked out. So, He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this little last part, He is fatherly in His attitude toward all men. 
God's attitude. Let's pray. Father, you're gracious. Thank you so very, very much today for your blessings. Thank you for your word. Give us understanding of it. Give us wisdom to know how to apply it to our lives. And Father, may we all be aware and conscious of the fact that you're going to work your purpose in our lives because you are omnipotent God. And if we will trust you, it's always going to be the best in our relationship with you for us. Thank you again. Be with us. We go our separate ways in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.